All right, let's turn over to um, the book of Galatians. We come to the last of the nine fruit of the Spirit uh, that have been given to us in a list in Galatians 5 in verse 22 down to verse 23. Uh, the lists are given. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And then he says... And they that are Christ have been crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous in vain of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. So last week we talked about the fruit of uh, the Spirit of meekness. And uh, we talked about how this Spirit is, uh, this fruit is um, a fruit of control. Power under control, specifically, and um, how that, how how'd you do this last week in um, in learning to control some of those uh, areas of instead of lashing out? This is one of those uh, these last two fruit, uh, meekness and temperance. Um, I remember a few years back I was working on a sermon uh, during the week, and on my computer I was about four hours into a, a document where I'd been studying and. And working through and uh, taking a break and coming back. And then all of a sudden, right, right towards the end of, um, of putting some, some things together, all of a sudden my computer crashed. And I, I had not uh, set the save on it. And somehow the automatic save wasn't, wasn't registering. And I lost all of the work. And in that moment, what, I, what my flesh wanted to do was, was take the computer and chuck it out the window, right? And in a fit of rage. I, I'm not going to ask how many of you have done that, um, but I know that you have felt that way uh, before with, with oftentimes technology. And in that moment, you know, um, interesting enough, I was working on a message that was dealing with self-control, and I think the Lord knew exactly what, what I needed at that moment and uh, a, a, an illustration for the message. And um, so I just shut things up and I went home. All right. And it came back a little at a different time and, uh, and, and had to just practice some self-control. However, I'm not always good at it. All right. Um, I remember a, a time where, you know, it was... Um, Either the end of the year or it was the end of the summer going into it was it was one of these transitional time frames where you know you start feeling guilty about you know your your weight and it's time to you know start a new diet and and get a little bit more okay we exercise and I'm going to eat eat more careful I'm going to get the app and start recording uh, the apps and uh, and and all my calories and things like that and it's one of these decisions this is Sunday I'm going to start on Monday. Um, well, the issue was that Monday I was going to a pastor's conference. And uh, so I'd made this decision all weekend I was going to do that. And uh, so then I'd go to a pastor's conference on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So Monday I ended up eating Taco Bell for lunch. And, um, and Tuesday night uh, we had a, a meal at the church, which was, you know, this, this meal all together and all these pastors, and uh, and then breakfast, uh, you know, with the pastors at the hotel the next morning. Okay, the breakfast. pastors, you know, end up liking to eat a lot for some reason, <laughs> and uh, just like any conference that you go to, 
you end up, you know, enjoying the fellowship, but you also enjoy. And then uh, on the way home, you know, I had to stop by and, and get uh, a Coke and some, you know, some chips and some snacks and stuff like that. By the time I got back on Wednesday, you know, I, I, I felt so bad because I had lost that self-control that I was planning for in, in that area. And uh, you know the disappointment when you set out and, and then all of a sudden your desires, your passions, your feelings, uh, your flesh gets the better of you and you lost it. You've blown it. Um, last week we talked about self-control in meekness. We talked about meekness is power under control. Meekness is realizing our our humility, realizing the position of humility as Jesus did. And and he humbled himself and he presented himself as the the Messiah who, who rode in on the colt of a donkey in the spirit of meekness. And, um, and, it, and it is God's way of, of, of bringing you to the top. Humility. That power under control. And allow through Christ when he displayed that servant spirit. It is because of that humility, Philippians 2, that Jesus received the name which is above every name. And then was lifted up. And he gave that pattern for the disciples. So he said, let this mind also be in you. That, that you would think this way. And uh, you, you, you power. And that's the very opposite from the way the world says to get to the top. The world says use your power. Abuse your power. Take advantage of it. You're smarter. You've got more money. You, you're, you're more, you've got more degree. So use it and dominate people with it. That's what they see as a successful leader. As someone who lords himself over someone else. Meekness, however, as we saw last week, is the manifestation of love that is domesticating our appetites. In that we don't yell and throw things, or spat off, or gossip, or use our tongue for revenge or malice, or, or envy in our hearts for something that someone else has. Not allowing our emotions to dictate our decisions, not allowing our will to dominate our plans, not allowing our hurts and our pains to defeat us in our discouragement and doubt, and not allowing our anger to lose control in public and personal settings. Now, with all of that said, with meekness, allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and, and, and use His power to suppress our flesh and our natural desires and then to manifest that love in the Spirit. Faith, meekness, and temperance are all disciplined virtues. So we saw the relational virtues of love, joy, and peace. We saw the, um, the demonstrated virtues that have to be rubbed shoulders with, with those around us, as that would be uh, gentleness, goodness, and long-suffering. And now we see these domesticated or these, these disciplined virtues that, that, that we must suppress our flesh and have control. And faith is that faithfulness to, to keep going even when you want to quit. To stick to it even when it's hard. Meekness is that domesticating those appetites, seeing the power under control, allowing the Holy Spirit to, to use us. And then we see temperance. 
Temperance here is used in, in this controlling of our passions as well. Now, in, if you see this, the word temperance that is used, some, some other translations use the word self-control. But let's see what the word means in the Greek. It wasn't given to us in the English. And, but it, it, it is given to us in a way that we would see this. It's, it, it, this word kind of comes from two. It, it means in the sphere of dominion or mastery. So properly put together, the dominion of oneself, that would be how it would be. Strong states that we get our English word temperance from the Latin word, meaning the virtue of one who masters his desires and his passions, especially in the sensual appetites. Leonidas state to exercise complete control over one's desires and actions. To control oneself to exercise self-control. Interesting, this word in its root verb form is found in a couple other places giving us an indication, at least this is an illustration of how this word is used. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 31, the word is used when Jesus took hold of the little girl. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 11, it is the word used in the verb form when Peter and John reached down to touch and heal the person. He grabbed the lame man at the temple. In Matthew 14 and verse 3, the word is used when Herod laid hold on John. That would be John the Baptist. He laid hold. Hold on him. In Revelation 2 and verse 25, it says here, That which you have already hold fast till I come. The same root verb word, it is used here. Hold fast to, to what I have taught you until I come. That was the church at Thyatira. It is where we get our English phrase, get a grip. You used that before? When you get a grip on something. Right? Don't you get a, you know, get a grip. That would be how this word would be used. When you add the, the, the phrase in the sphere of, it's not just get a grip, it's get a grip of yourself. Get a hold of yourself. You're not thinking right. You're not doing right. You're not, you're, you're not acting right. This is not you. Get a hold of yourself. Almost like the Holy Spirit who just picks, picks you up by your collar and, and shakes you a little bit and says, this is not you. Stop acting that way. Control yourself. Get a grip. Now used in Scripture, this word, temperance. Turn over in Acts 24 and verse 25. Let's look at just a few places here. Flip over. That'll keep your attention here as well. Acts 24... In verse 25, in this passage, Paul is, is standing before the Roman leaders, Felix, specifically, in chapter 24, in, verse, um, uh, in, in this verse 25. He said, and after he reasoned, this is talking in verse 24, he's talking to Felix and, and his wife, Drusilla, that was there, who heard concerning the faith of Christ. And Paul, verse 25, as he reasoned of, and here's the reasoning, here's what he was arguing to them, righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. All right? 
So Paul is standing there. What is Paul saying? Paul, Paul is showing him righteousness and, and showing how we are to exercise self-control. And um, the Roman leaders are interested in that. All right, learning, learning how to be disciplined. Discipline was it. So Paul finds these, these characteristics, judgment, righteousness, and self-control, temperance. Um, in 2 Peter, turn over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, Peter gives a list of things that we are to add to in our spiritual life. This, these, are, these, are, um, these are virtues that we are to add one upon another. This is our life that is growing in 2 Peter 1 and verse 6. Uh, verse 5 says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your virtue, or to your faith, virtue, to your virtue, knowledge, to the knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love, charity. So here it is used in a list. A list of virtues that the believer is, is to add to his faith. Now that's very similar to what Paul is doing in Galatians chapter 5 with this list of the fruit of the Spirit. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This word, temperance, um, self-control, this Greek word that is used here, is translated in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 7 in this fashion. But if they cannot contain, there's the word. That's how it's translated. Let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. The meaning of this word is if, if they cannot have self-control then it is better for them to marry than to burn. Now, he's talking about singleness in this verse. And we're going to come back to this in just a moment. But can, while we're here in this verse, what Paul is saying is, if you are single and you can't have self-control in your area of sexuality, in other words, you can't remain pure, you've got a problem. It's better to marry then singleness, the gift of singleness, is not for you. All right. Now, it's in a, long, in, a, in a line of some verses that we're going to come back to, but that is the same word form in, in this phrase that is used uh, that we find in, um, in, in Galatians, the fruit. Now, keep your finger there. I'm just going to mention this in Titus 1 and verse 8. In the list of attri uh, qualifications for a bishop, a bishop must be, and he gives a list, a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, and temperate. A man who is in self-control, who has control, who has a grip of himself. That is a qualification of a bishop that is listed in Titus chapter 1. Now another phrase that's used, and you're in 1 Corinthians, turn around to 1 Corinthians 9. A couple chapters later from where you were. Paul uses this word in 1 Corinthians 9 in verse 24 when he's talking about an athlete. He's saying here, Know you not that they which run in a race run all and one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain. 
And every man that strives for the mastery, every man that is agonizing, that's the Greek word here, this word strive, it comes from the word contention, who is going to fight, who's going to wrestle, who's going to strive and contend for the crown, for the mastery, is temperate in all things. Paul here is using this illustration of athletes because he knows athletes are disciplined. Good athletes are disciplined. If you're not disciplined and you don't have the characteristic of discipline, you're not going to be a good athlete. You're not going to make it to the ESPN Games. You're not going to make it to the Olympics. You're not going to make it to the U.S. Open. You're not going to make it to the championship. Those men who make it to professional sports, they make it not because necessarily they're really tall or, you know, they weigh 600 pounds, so put him on the line. No, they may have some of those characteristics. But those men, even the weakest on some of those professional sports, are men of strong discipline. Interesting enough, they're strong discipline when it comes to the sport. But in a whole lot of other areas, they have all kinds of trouble in. Because they don't know this moral form of the word temperance. And Paul uses that as an illustration and example to as well say that as in spiritual life, we are running a race not for a corruptible crown, but an incorruptible. So Paul says, I therefore so run not as uncertainty. I'm not, I'm not out there fi- fighting the air, beating the air. So I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means I should preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. There is the fear of the Apostle Paul. That he would be caught off guard in his spiritual walk. And his flesh rear its ugly head back up into his life. Romans chapter 7. And he become a castaway. Because he got off guard one moment. And lost control. And Paul uses that as an illustration. And an example of the spiritual commitment that it takes to exercise this temperance. Now, going back to the fruit of the Spirit that we are seeing, um, don't go back to that in Galatians. Stay there in Corinthians. Because I want you to see this word in the negative sense. The word is used in the opposite. It's the same word, but the opposite. In 1 Corinthians 7. Turn with me to 7 in verse 1. The, the word, a person who does not have self-control. The opposite of temperance. The, the opposite of this word. Paul used it in a positive light. A person, if you don't have self-control, all right, is better, or if you don't have control of your appetites, it is better to marry than to burn. Now look in verse 1. I think it would be good. We don't often touch this. This chapter is a very difficult chapter. Um, I don't know if I have a complete grasp of it. And if you have questions afterwards, we can talk about it. It's often a chapter in the book of, of Corinthians that is, that is overlooked because it is dealing with the issue of marriage and singleness. Which of people in here are going to fit in one of those two categories? Um, and when we think about the, these verses, follow the pattern of what Paul is saying here. And, um, and, and what now concerning the things whereof I wrote, un, uh, you wrote unto me. 
it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, Paul is answering in, these, in this section of Corinthians, he's answering some questions from the church at Corinth. And these questions that he's going to address first are on the issue of singleness and marriage. This church had some issues, right? And one of the issues that they were struggling with was, was, um, was marriage and, and singleness and celibacy. And immorality that would include that. So Paul spends a long, lengthy discussion. In fact, some of the things that he will say in here, he only says it in this chapter, nowhere else in, in his other writings. And first, so he says here, it is not good for a man to touch a woman. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that in the hallway here, when you're walking down and there's a group of people together and a man runs elbow against a, another lady and then all of a sudden there's sin that's taking place. No, this is a euphemism that is being used in the fashion of sexuality. Don't touch a woman in a sexual fashion. And really what he's saying here, it is good that a man um, be single, if you want to say it that way. Not to enter into um, sexual relations. Now he's going to talk about marriage here. But in this verse, he's just it coming out that it's it's a general it's you know it's good to be single. The Apostle Paulius, don't touch a woman. Um, and then in the next verse, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. In other words, in that verse, he's saying marriage is good. Marriage is good. Marriage is the place. For the sexual union between man and woman. That's the way God made it. God made it that way. Between a man and a woman. Husband and wife. In the bounds of marriage. The bed is undefiled. It's, it's holy. With between a man and a woman. And a husband and a wife. That's what God designed it for. For that, for that mutual love. And, and oneness. And pleasure. Yes procreation. But not just procreation because here in this verse but he says here to avoid fornication to avoid immorality there's marriage because anything outside of marriage in the bounds of of sexual relationship is fornication is immorality and so where do you find the sexual fulfillment between a man and a woman you find it in the, bounds, in the bonds of marriage. And that's good. That's good. It is within that bond that then that is, that is sacred and protected and, and not let loose. So let, let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. Verse 3. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. This word render here is, is the, the Greek word meaning debt. Or if you want to put it this way, duty. It is the husband's duty to do good, benevolent to his wife. And for the wife to his husband. He's still talking about the sexual relationship within marriage. It is... It is it is good you look after one another, you consider one another, and you have a duty, a debt to one another 
to, to each other within this, within this bond to fulfill your duty. And I don't know what to say it that way, but the Apostle Paul is reading it in that fashion. That's the way he said it. It just comes from the Lord. So as these, these, this husband and wife fulfills their, their responsibility in commitment together within the bounds of marriage. Then look at verse 4. For the wife, uh, that the, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband likewise also, uh, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. And so this word power is the word exousia. In the Greek, it means authority or right. Within the bounds of marriage, that husband has given up his own right to his body. His body now is hers. And um, her body now is his. And it's no longer, you'll do it. Now, that's completely opposite than what our world says today. Even with it, that's why there is a complete rejection of marriage in our society because people don't want to see the sacredness of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in these verses. So look at verse 5. This is where we're, we're getting to this. Defraud not one another, except it be for consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come together again. That Satan tempt you not for your. And you see the word here. What's the word? In the King James. Incontency. Alright. Even if I had said that. It's split up in my Bible here. In that the end is in the first line. And the contency is in the next. It's that same word. But it is the opposite. The lack of temperance. Now, let me just mention what verse 5, the Apostle Paul is saying here. The word defraud here is the word deprive. Stop depriving your spouse. Now, what seems to be happening within the church is that there were some who were saying within marriage, you could be celibate. And that being celibate within marriage was a holy thing. Now, it could be that they were overreacting to the debauchery that they were seeing in the city of Corinth. Of the just hedonism, the looseness, the nobody. And so there was this, ooh, that is dirty and that is wrong. And so um, now we're in this relationship. And some of them were in relationships with unsaved husbands or, or, or an unsaved wife. And they were coming to church and their spouse was unsaved back at home and hadn't been one to the Lord. And so the thinking was that was going around was that, well, you don't need to enter into to, uh, to, to sexual relations with your spouse because that's, that's not right. And so you, you should be celibate and remain yourself. And, and that's the more spiritual way to be. And the Apostle Paul is saying, don't do that. That's, that's wrong. You're not your own. And the only time... That you could refrain. Is if there is a serious time of mutual agreement. When there has been um, an agreement for an issue. That needs to be prayed and fasted only for a short time. What is the reason that he gives at the end of the verse? Because the devil is a tempter. And he will come in and tempt the spouse. So. Because of his lack or her lack of control. And the Apostle Paul saying, don't do that. 
Because when you defraud, when you hold back, and sometimes there are spouses that will manipulate and, and use the sexual relation within the bounds of marriage to cause frustration and anger to get their way and say, or, or somehow, or to get back. And the Apostle Paul is attacking that type of thinking because it leaves the vulnerable one to the temptation of the devil. You say, well, they just should have had self-control. Well, that's not the way the Apostle Paul argued that with him. That's the way he is showing that within the bounds of marriage, there is this safe place for that relationship. And, and within that, and that is, that is important. Interesting in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, go over there. I just want you to see it. Just because when I, when I was studying, I turned over to it, and I, and, and I had to do a double take. Uh, second, second Timothy 3 and verse 1. This also know that in the last times, the perilous times are going to come. Men are going to be lovers of their own selves. You see that? Second Timothy, he's going to give you. This is what the last days are going to look like. Right? Last days are going to look like people who are covetous, who are proud, blasphemers, disobedience to their parents. They're going to be unthankful. They're going to be unholy. They're going to be without natural affections and truth breakers and false accusers. And they're also going to be incontinent. Now, I had to look that word up in the English dictionary. And here's the English dictionary for that word. Having no or insufficient control over one's bladder. As some of you may understand what that means. But this is not what Paul is talking about. He's not saying in the last days, people are not going to be able to hold it until they get to the bathroom. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this means that they will have a lack in self-control. That will be what the sign of the end times are going to be. Is there's going to be a people, a group of people who are just out of control. Appetites, desires, everything. This is ultimate hedonism. Where man just lives for what he wants and what he does. And this is all out for me. And he doesn't have this, this control over himself and his appetites. And it just is going to let loose. And... I think to help you just in the nuance of this word. From last week, we talked about meekness. Meekness is power under control. Having the authority and the leadership. Not being angry and malice in your choices and your reactions. Temperance is having our body under control. And it's appetites and desires. Now, we did touch on this briefly last week. When we talked about this. But I think when we come to this word. It's interesting that this word is so very important. Someone said this. A person with self-control has restraint and self-discipline. Not to be ruled by his feelings and passions. Therefore he will resist temptation. Barclay says this. Here we have this word. Temperance is the essence of the whole matter. Is nothing other than chastity. Chastity was the one completely new virtue which the Christian ethic brought into the world. It is a great quality. 
It makes a man able to live and walk in a filthy, wicked world and not get his garments unspotted by the world. Jesus told his disciples to be in the world, but not of the world. Paul told his, uh, his followers, don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. And John said in his epistle, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Temperance means we hold our passions in check with the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God. And everything we do, every passion that we have, we filter it through the Word of God. Like last week, the channeling of that power through the Spirit as it controls what we would like to do and we would like to say instead we respond to the Spirit. Here, it is our, is our flesh that wants to draw itself out, take what it wants, take advantage of other people, get for pleasure out of the bounds of what the truth of God's Word has said. Temperance is seen in a wife who abstains from the desire to control her husband. It is seen in the husband who abstains from the desire to look at another woman. It is seen in a child who abstains from the desire to have that cookie when he's been told he cannot. It is seen in the teenager who abstains from the urge to dance to the beat, literally and figuratively. It is seen in the mother who abstains from the desire to overindulge in her appetite for TV or reading or food or exercise or social media or, for the, or to neglect her husband and children. It is seen in the father who abstains from the desire to hunt and fish and, and, and hobby and lay around and party and get drunk on the passions so that he could properly now care for his family and his wife and spend time with them and teach his wife and his children and lead them in the home. This is the very personal dimension of this word. It means to take hold of and get a grip on your life. In particular, your mind, your glands, and your addictions. No Christian today can deny that we are living in a culture given to ongoing desecration of sex and marriage. The propagandists in our world today with the films and the primetime television that is filled with lewdness and pornography and adultery and sexual violence, sexual humor, double entendres occur at such a high rate that the situation can only be called an assault on our personal and cultural morality and spirituality. See, we have no idea in our culture today what it means to control our flesh. Our self is our greatest enemy. It is our greatest hindrance to our walk with the Lord. Not the devil, but our flesh. Our greatest enemy. We talked about sleep. We talked about drink. We talked about food. We talked about sex. We mentioned those things last week. We need to be very careful. Amy Carmichael wrote a poem about the insight of this word self-control. She says this, God, harden me against myself. The coward with pathetic voice who craves for ease and rest and joy. Myself, arch traitor to myself, my hollowest friend, my deadliest foe, my clog, whatever road I go, myself. Self-control means a discipline of our physical and sexual instincts and curbing our mental habits and our emotional reactions. And nobody can do this on their own. They must have the Holy Spirit 
in concert with the Word of God that can enable this kind of morality to come out with spiritual integrity in the lives of believers. One person said this in closing, in every man's life there is a throne and when self is on the throne, Christ is on the cross. But when Christ is on the throne, self is on the cross. Father, I pray that you'd help us today as we go. Uh, Lord, this issue of temperance and self-control, the lack of it has destroyed so many homes and marriages. The, the devil in, in areas of, of entertainment and, and film and the industry today, the parties and the drinking and drugs and um, all that is, it is just flashing to our society today. Um, the, the, the temptation to live according to the flesh. What a battle that our young people are facing, that we are facing, even that we've seen different from the last 20, 25 years. It's just gotten worse, and it will get worse. And Lord, I pray that you would help believers. This is last on the list of nine fruit, not because it's the least important. In fact, it's probably one of those that is the most difficult for all of us. Um, this, this control of the Spirit in our life to say no to our passions, especially this, this sexual drive that is there that must be tempered and placed in the bounds of, of, of marriage. Be with these singles, these young people and teenagers in, in our church who live in a society that is, uh, that is free and open and lewd and uh, downgrades marriage. What a battle that they are facing. And Lord, um, as the, it just boggles my mind, the marriage age is getting older and older and older. I don't see how so much temptation. Uh, maybe we need to heed the word of Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. And be very careful. Um, I don't believe we have people who have more self-control today. And Lord, I just pray that you'd protect the purity of the lives of, of people, protect the purity of our church and the families within our church from this danger. So many lives are destroyed because of this lack of this fruit in, uh, in our life. Bless us as we go. Help us to fight the devil with the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and these fruit that enable us to live um, in the world, but not of the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, you are dismissed.